you know, our, our beliefs dictate our behaviors. Our beliefs create our experience. So the reason that some people have a closer connection with God is that they believe that they do. You know, uh, as some wise man said many years ago, as you believe, so will it be done unto you. So the answer to the question is, it has to do with what you believe is true. Belief is like magic. It actually turns what you believe into what you experience. How do we learn to believe without seeing? <laughs> yes, well, blessed are those who do not see and still believe. Um, I think we believe uh, without seeing by in, in a number of ways. Number one, by trying it. I always invite people, we just you know, try it out. You know, what, what would happen if you decided to believe a particular thing, you know, anything specifically? Choose, choose uh, a belief that you'd like to hold that you may not hold now. Maybe, maybe you don't believe you have enough money, or maybe you don't believe that you have... in the world you are. Welcome to the Health Zone Show with Michal O'Mahuna, where with each episode I explore interesting health and well-being topics with a thought-provoking guest. These topics can range from nutrition, relationships, spirituality, finance, creativity, mental health and much, much more, so that you can live a healthier, happier and more authentic life. Guests on the show vary from health experts spiritual teachers, finance wizards, sports legends, to ordinary people with extraordinary lives. Find us on facebook.com forward slash The Health Zone Show, or you can also join our Facebook group, The Health Zoners. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, pin interest under The Health Zone. Check out our new updated website, www.thehealthzoneshow.com, and at the moment, you can receive a free copy of my latest ebook, Seven Ways to Boost Your Overall Well Being When You Join the Health Zone. Today I'm chatting with Conversations of God author Neil Donald Walsh. Hello, Neil. Hello, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for the invitation. You're very welcome. Neil, if somebody said to you that they don't believe in God, what would you say? Good for you. You're not required to believe in God. You don't have to believe in God. It's not necessary to believe in God. You, God exists whether you believe in God or not. God doesn't depend on you for God's existence. So if you don't believe in God, that's just fine. Do you, but, I, but I would offer you an, an invitation to answer another question. Do you believe in life? Because if you believe in life, then that's all that's necessary because life and God are the same thing. That is, the two words are interchangeable. So if you believe in life, then you're really saying you believe in God because God is life and all that life is. But the wonderful thing about God is that God does not require you to believe in God in order to be able to use the power of God, or if you please, the power of life, to create the life of your dreams and the life of your highest desires. And do you believe that everyone has that connection with God, whether they know it or not? Well, of course. Of course they do. Not only does everyone have that connection with God, everyone is that. I mean, I'm, I want to say this, that if you think that you're a part of life, that's what I say to people who don't believe in God. Do you believe in life? Do you believe in the existence of life? And most people would say, well, of course, it's going on right now. Then I say, fine. Do you see, that you're, do you see yourself as part of life? That is, do you see yourself as an expression of life? If they say, well, yes, of course I'm an expression of life. They say, well, great. Now consider the possibility, the, the possibility that the words God and the word life are the same thing. They're pointing to the same reality. If the word God and the word life point to the same reality, then when you say, I am a part of life, you're also saying, I am a part of God. So not only does everyone have the same connection with God, Everyone is a part of God, even as a drop is a part of the ocean. And one drop of the ocean could turn to another drop of the ocean and say, do you realize we are both one part of the same thing? And the other drop of the ocean would say, of course we are. We're both one part of the ocean. 
and we are therefore all the same thing. So that's really what's happening here. And people can call it, you know, as the old saying goes, a rose by any other name is still a rose. With that connection with God, Neil, you know, some people have a very deep, strong connection and some people don't. Why is that the case? Well, it, it has to do with a person's beliefs. You know, our, our beliefs dictate our behaviors. Our beliefs create our experience. So the reason that some people have a closer connection with God is that they believe that they do. You know, uh, as some wise man said many years ago, as you believe, so will it be done unto you. So the answer to the question is, it has to do with what you believe is true. Belief is like magic. It actually turns what you believe into what you experience. How do we learn to believe without seeing? <laughs> yes, well, blessed are those who do not see and still believe. Uh, I think we believe uh, without seeing by in, in a number of ways. Number one, by trying it. I always invite people, well, just you know, try it out. You know, what, what would happen if you decided to believe a particular thing, you know, anything specifically? Choose, choose uh, a belief that you'd like to hold that you may not hold now. Maybe, maybe you don't believe you have enough money, or maybe you don't believe that you have your perfect relationship, or maybe you don't. Maybe there's something, or maybe you don't even believe in God. But just choose, you know, decide to just for the, just for uh, the joy of it, to believe that you know, for a day or two and see if it changes anything in your exterior experience. But, you know, how to believe the unbelievable, that's a very good question. We have to just simply give ourselves permission to notice that there may be something we don't fully understand here. I mean, on the planet. There may be something we don't fully understand on this planet. And in my life, the understanding of which would change everything. In regard to that belief and that understanding, you know, some people would say it is like a lack of trust in not believing that God is there. It is a lack of trust. But it's okay. I want to. I want to emphasize: a person doesn't have to believe that God is there. They don't. They don't have to believe that. But the power of positive thinking cannot be denied by anyone who's looked at the question seriously. Even people who don't believe in God, I repeat, are often convinced that there's something going on energetically in the universe. You can call it what you want. But the power of positive thinking is a very extraordinary tool that people have used from the beginning of time, really. You know, the way you think about things very often is how things show up. And we have learned that positive thinking has a very powerful influence uh, in our lives. So you don't have to believe in God. But if you believe that there is a system of energy, let's put it that way, surely even people who don't believe in God can agree that there is an energetic signature. There's there's something going on in the universe. I mean, look at this. Look at the night sky. Something is holding it all together. They call it gravity, and that's only one aspect of the energy there is. We we learned about the energy that we call electricity. We know about that energy, and nuclear energy. And we, we're very clear that energy itself exists. The question is, is there a way for us to harness that energy and put it to use? Uh, in our own lives in specific and particular ways? And the answer to that question is yes. And people who don't even believe in God have come to understand that if they think positively about things, more often than not, positive outcomes result. Is there a way to know on a physical level that we are connecting with God in our lives? Look at your life. Watch what happens. See what's so. And then take a look at what is true, especially once you, if you decide that you're going to embrace the notion that there is a particular way to utilize the metaphysical energy of life, and you start using that, the, the way to physically experience uh, the presence of God is to simply look at your life, look all around you and see what you are experiencing in your life, especially if you decide to embrace the notion, embrace the idea that God exists. I have a, a process that I invite people to use if they want to have their own conversation with God. And um, it's I, I put it online for anyone to use who wants to use it. It's available at 
your own CWG, which of course stands for Conversations with God. So your own CWG dot net. I think it's I think it's your own CWG dot net um, or dot com. Frankly, I forgot, but try either one, and you'll find uh, a little process. It takes oh maybe fifteen or twenty minutes to do the process to have your own to have your own conversation with God. Thanks, Neil. If there's somebody listening in right now to this conversation and they're in a place of deep suffering, what do you think God would say to that person? Suffering is not necessary. I think God would say to that person, suffering is the result of our decision that what is happening should not be happening, that something's going on that should not be going on, that something's going wrong. But in fact, it's impossible for anything to be going wrong if we are really drops of the ocean or individuations of God. If we are individuations of divinity, then it would stand to reason that nothing can happen to us that is not supposed to be happening. The question then would be, why would certain things be happening? Why would we allow so-called bad stuff? illness, disease, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job, whatever it might be. Why would we allow bad things to happen in our lives? It's a very good question. And it's, and it's, it's a, um, the answer to that question, of course, is found in the, the Conversations with God books, including, by the way, the latest book, which just came out a week and a half or two weeks ago, Conversations with God, book four, Awaken the Species. In that book, you will find the answer to the question, why do bad things happen? Why are bad things created in the world that um, we all deal with in our daily lives? I can give you the short answer here. The short answer is all of us are in the process of creating a contextual field, a field of experience within which we can know and declare our true identity. To put this really simplistically, and I, I apologize, this is being very simplistic, But I'm going to use a simplistic example just to make it clear very quickly. If I say I am the light, I am the light. I'm a person who brings the light into the room when I come into the room. When I move into a situation, you know, I'm just a person who kind of brings the light. Well, I can't experience myself as that. I can know myself as that. I can tell myself that I am that. But I can't actually express it or experience it unless I'm surrounded by, you guessed it, the darkness. So in fact, I will go out of my way at a metaphysical level, not not consciously, but at a super conscious level, I'll go out of my way to actually attract situations into my life that allow me to demonstrate who I am in relationship to, to them, that allow me to demonstrate who I am in contrast to them. By the way, in case anyone's not noticed, I've just described the entire theology behind the experience of Jesus Christ. Why would he have allowed himself, if he truly was the Son of God, to go through the experiences that we are told he went through? The answer is very simple. Without those experiences, he could not have demonstrated, much less experienced or expressed, much less shown the rest of us who he is and who we really are. So the message of of the Christ experience goes far beyond what we may have imagined. Not only that he was saying to us that who he is, he was showing us who we are. In fact, he actually said it before, before that particular experience, when he was performing miracles. He said to people around him, why are you so amazed? These things and more shall you do also. So that's the answer to the question. Neil, oftentimes we can identify with the mind, the body, and the soul. If we are none of these things, then who are we? Well, we are these things. We are all three of these things. We are the body, mind, and soul combined into one entity or one being. You know, we haven't yet found a word in our global languages that uh, describes that single thing, the body, mind, and the soul combined. But we are that entity. We're not your body. You're, you're not your mind. And you're not even, in a sense, your soul. But, but in fact, you are all three rolled up into one. And that is the essence of who you are. The representation, if I could put it that way, the individuation of divinity in physicality. 
it's exactly what every living entity throughout the cosmos is. We are the individuations of divinity recreated in physicality. That's who we are. Now, you don't, you don't have to believe that. It, 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 not believing it doesn't make it not so. It just means that you're not experiencing it the way people who do believe it are experiencing it. But you can't make it not so. What's so is so. You can't make it not so. But you can pretend in your mind that it's not so. But I would invite you to notice the quality of life of those who believe that it is so. Generally speaking, the quality of their life is quite a bit different from the quality of ours. And again, I don't want to get into too much of Christian theology, but if you look at the life of Christ, you will see that the entirety of his life was a demonstration of what life can be like when you understand who you really are, when you understand that you are divinity turned into physicality. Now, of course, people of the Christian belief, of the Christian faith, say, no, 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 Neil, that's blasphemy. Only one person, only one person in the history of humanity uh, falls into that category. And that's Jesus. He was the son of God. Fair enough. We are not, not in that same way. But in fact, we are. And that's the big misunderstanding. If we all saw ourselves as Christ invited us to see ourselves, if we all knew ourselves as individuations of divinity, we too would live the kind of extraordinary life with joy and peace and serenity and wisdom and understanding that all spiritual masters have done. By the way, by the way, I'm sure we all agree on this particular point. Jesus was not the only spiritual master to walk the face of the earth. Buddha is considered by many to have been a spiritual master. Lao Tzu, Muhammad, and there are others, both male and female, through the centuries that have been called spiritual masters by the rest of us because we see that their experience is somehow different from ours. Yet you will notice that all the spiritual masters, those that we have labeled masters of spirituality and great spiritual teachers, all of those spiritual teachers are saying the same thing that I'm saying right now. Is that fascinating? It really is fascinating. Do you think the ego plays a role in stopping us from being that way? Well, of course it does, because the ego is the part of the mind which needs to convince us that it holds the truth, it has the awareness, it is really all there is. Your, your mind's job is to make sure that you survive as long as you need to survive to complete the agenda of your soul, but your mind, your ego, is dealing with very limited data. Oh, the only data it has about life is the data it has gathered since the mind switched on prior to your birth, when you were in utero uh, within your mother. But the uh, soul, on the other hand, carries data from all time. The soul is the repository of all the wisdom, all the understanding, all the clarity, and all the data of the universe through all time. Therefore, if you listen to the data of your mind, you're listening to very limited data. It's like reading one page of an encyclopedia and forgetting that the rest of the encyclopedia exists. The soul, to speak metaphorically, is the encyclopedia of life itself. And the mind has one page of that information. We are like children, you know. We, we are like children who have learned their mathematics. Imagine a child who has learned how to add and subtract. And she's so proud. She now knows how to add numbers and how to subtract numbers. But now she gets to be an adult. And she has the arrogance to imagine that that's all there is to mathematics. Forget about long division. Forget about multiplication. Forget about algebra and geometry and trigonometry or advanced mathematics. You know, every mathematical problem in the world can be solved, I don't know whether you know this or not, by adding or subtracting. Every other form of mathematics is simply a process by which we add and subtract numbers. But, but, but if we learn the mechanics of mathematics in their higher form, we can do that process. We can make those calculations much more quickly. And now with computers, we can make them instantaneously. But what if computers could only add and subtract and could not do anything else? You see, so I use that illustration to show 
how human beings imagine themselves to understand about the universe and about life. We have understood what our mind has embraced, what our mind has encountered. But that's just the tiniest portion of the overall reality. We're reading one page of a huge encyclopedia. So the answer is to step outside of the mind and move into the wisdom, the clarity, the understanding, and the knowledge held by the soul. That's what all the great spiritual masters have done. When you listen to the words of Lao Tzu, when you listen to the words of Buddha, when you listen to the words of Muhammad and Christ and all the other spiritual masters, both male and female throughout the uh, ages, you suddenly hear people talking about things that sound very much outside the mind. And someone once said laughingly, you know what, in order to be really wise, you have to be out of your mind. And you really do. And Neil, do you have a daily practice um, to create this connection in your own life? Well, for me, it's writing. For me, uh, my daily practice is I sit down and I, I either respond to the many questions that are asked of me uh, throughout uh, the day by people in the media or by magazine writers or even, for that matter, by people on the Internet. We have a website called cwgconnect.com. And at cwgconnect.com, people ask me questions. All the, there's a column there called Ask Neil, and people ask me questions every single day of my life. So my way of meditating is to fall back into the awareness of the soul by calling forth the answers to the questions that I am asked every day of my life. Forgive me for being uh, a bit pretentious, perhaps, or at least sounding pretentious, but that's exactly what I'm doing right now. In this interview, I'm doing that exact thing. See, so we have this idea that meditation has to look a certain way. We have to be, you know, sitting someplace quietly, perhaps with a candle or some music going in the dark or whatever it might be, that we have to have it look a certain way. But, you know, what I've been told is that meditation takes many, many, many forms and connecting with the soul, connecting with God takes many, many, many forms. You can, you can meditate while you're washing the dishes. You can meditate as you're walking through the park. You can meditate while you're taking a shower. You can meditate simply by sitting quietly and being still. Or you can meditate by answering people's questions and by sharing with others what you understand yourself to know perfectly, clearly, and absolutely. That's what every great mystical and um, spiritual teacher has ever done. Neil, what do you believe is the purpose of a relationship? purpose of a relationship is very clear. It's for us to have the opportunity to give and to experience who we really are. Most people think that the purpose of relationship is to receive something. That is, I get into a relationship with another because I like what I'm seeing across the room. I'm very attracted to that other person. Perhaps they can give me what I've never had before. Perhaps they can help me complete my life in a sense. Perhaps they can complement who I am and the two of us together can walk through life and, and be a happy couple. But in fact, God has told us in, in book one of the Conversations with God material, in chapter eight of book one, God explains in considerable detail the reason and the purpose and the function of relationship. And the purpose of relationship is to create a contextual field, a context, a space, if you will, to create a space within which we can experience and express ourselves, in which we can know ourselves as who we really are, through the giving of ourselves to another. So the purpose of relationship is not to get something from someone else, but in fact to give something to someone else. And the greatest gift that we can give to another person is to allow them to give to us. But then we understand the true nature of relationship and the highest nature of love itself. What do you think stops us from creating that space in a relationship? Oh, well, because we don't understand. We don't understand uh, who we are, and we don't understand the purpose of relationship. We think that we need something. See, how, how that happens is that what stops us from creating those kinds of relationships is the first illusion of humans. In the book Communion with God, we were given ten illusions of humans. I won't go through the whole list. You may want to read that book. You'll find it to be fascinating. But the first illusion of the ten illusions of humans the idea that need exists. So long as I think I need something from another person, I will misunderstand 
the function and the purpose of relationship. When I understand that I don't need anything, then I will experience relationship in an entirely different way. Not as an opportunity for me to get what I think I need, but an opportunity for me to give what I know myself to be. You know, when you think about it, when you really give it some thought, we realize that our highest moments are moments of greatest happiness in relationship and in life itself is when we are giving of ourselves to another. Those are the moments of our greatest happiness, of our greatest joy, and of our greatest feeling of self-fulfillment. All we have to do is look at that and see how true it is. And we'll understand the purpose of relationship. But what stops us, to answer your question, is the illusion that we need somebody else. And without that person, without what they're giving us, we can't be happy. That is fundamentally inaccurate, and it's simply not true. Neil, in your own life, what have you found being the most challenging part of relationships for you? Probably stepping into my highest thought about myself. The hardest part of relationship is for me to set aside my own self-imposed limitations with regard to how much I can love another and how unconditional I am willing to allow my love to be. So I think that the most challenging aspect of relationship is for me to step into and fully express the highest thought that I hold about who I am and about what love is, and finally about what the other person and who the other person is as well. Or to put it in a simple language, the hardest thing about relationship is for me to live up to what I'm saying here. Is there a practical way to do that, Neil? Sure. Just do it. The the only practical way is to do it and let go of any need for a particular result or a particular outcome. In other words, release all expectations. Expectations are based on the idea that you need something. So what we have to do is that is that you need something from the others. What we have to do is erase the notion that we need something from another and allow ourselves to see that the real reason for relationship has to do with the opportunity that it gives us to express who we really are. The people who do that, by the way, those who actually live that way, find that they are receiving from the world, from other people in their life, everything that they thought that they had to work hard to receive in the giving of our highest self is the receiving of our highest desires. So it's really quite simple. And it was made to be simple that way. Uh, We simply have not understood it. And no one has taught us this. If someone had said these very words to me when I was six years old, eight years old, 10 years old, and 16 years old, my whole life would have been different. But I had to wait until I was 50 years old to learn this stuff. Neil, I know in your own life, um, you've been married a number of occasions. Some of the early marriages proved a source of agony for you. Why did that happen? Well, I don't think that I wouldn't describe my early marriages as agony. Uh, I never have used that word uh, in my description of them. There were simply uh, moments in which I failed to live up to what I'm talking about here. It was there, there were there were demonstrations of the fact that I really didn't understand the reason and the purpose of relationship, but they were not agony-filled experiences. The ladies that that populated my life and that um, I was married to, and I've been married seven times, so I know what I'm talking about here. People are often scandalized to hear, oh my God, this guy's been married seven times? But I'm a broken messenger, and I I don't claim, never have claimed to be perfect. As a matter of fact, my imperfections is what led me to have my conversations with God. But yes, you're right, but but my seven marriages were not agony-filled. They were, in fact, simply disappointing to me because I did not understand what I was trying to do, did not understand what I was doing there, did not understand who I was in relationship to the other person, who I was in relationship to God, and who I had an opportunity to demonstrate myself as being. Because nobody told me these things, as I said, when I was 6, 8, 9, 10, and 20 years old, I didn't understand this. So uh, my relationships were not filled with agony, but they were filled with sadness on my part. And I'm to this day, sad and sorry and i've expressed my apologies to all those wonderful ladies for the fact that 
I never understood what I was doing and I, in those relationships. And I didn't live up to, therefore, the purpose and the function of relationship. And that's why they failed. There's no question. No question. Now I'm in my seventh marriage. I've been married to my present wife for 10 years. It'll be 10 years in a few months in September. We celebrate our 10th anniversary. And this marriage is going really quite well because I, I finally figured out what I'm doing here. Not just, and not just what I'm doing in relationship, but what I'm doing on the earth, what I'm doing in life itself. But you know what? I'm 73 years old, for goodness sake. If I can't figure it out by this point, you know, what am I doing here? So I decided to really listen to my own books, to embrace the wisdom in the writing that has come to me and come through me, and to see if I couldn't cause that to be part of my everyday life. Hopefully I'll get there before I leave the planet uh, on this particular excursion. I hope you do as well. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. If someone's listening right now, Neil, and they're struggling to actually create a relationship in their life, how would you suggest for them to, to create that relationship? Create the relationship on the basis of who you really are. That is, start by understanding why you're getting into relationship to begin with. If I had to give somebody advice, and, and, and much more fully than I can do here uh, in this brief interview, I would say get conversations with God, book one, and read chapter eight, and read it a second time, then read it a third time. It will explain relationship to you very, very clearly. But in brief, in this telephone conversation, I would say to you, it's very simple. Understand why am I getting into relationship? What is the point of this relationship? And for that matter, what is the point of all of life? I would invite people to address four fundamental questions of life. Number one, who am I? Number two, where am I? I don't mean what room of the house am I in or what city or what street, but I mean, where am I in the universe, in the cosmos? What is this place called physica this physicality, the realm of the physical? What is this? Number three, why am I where I am? Why have I allowed myself to be physicalized? Why have I allowed myself to be existing in the realm of the physical? And number four, what then do I intend to do about that? You know, uh, I have a simple question that, that I ask before I make any major decision, whether it's a decision to get into a relationship or, um, or actually not even just major decisions, but any decision at all, even small decisions, not just who should I marry or what job should I take or what city should I live in, but small decisions. What should I have for dinner? What clothes should I wear when I go out this evening? What music should I listen to? Here's the question that I ask myself. What does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? If you ask yourself that question at key points in your life, what does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? It will recontextualize your entire experience. It will create a new context within which you move through and enter into your choices and your decisions. What does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? But of course, you couldn't ask that question unless you understood the agenda of your soul. And that's why there are nine conversations with God books. And it's very clear, by the way, I want to let people understand that I've just published a book less than five weeks ago. I think it's been out about four weeks now. Conversations with God, book four, Awaken the Species. And the opportunity for people who want to read that book is to get a full answer to the questions. Who am I? Where am I? Why am I where I am? And what do I intend to do about that? Another question that I read in one of your books many years ago at this stage, probably about 15 years ago, was a question that I really loved, actually, was what would love do now? That's basically the same question in a different form. That's not very much different from... What does this have to do with the agenda of my soul? It's just another way of asking the same question. If I am that which love is, and I am, if I am that which divinity is, and I am, and if what divinity is, is love expressed, and it is, then the questions become the same. What would love do now? It's a powerful question. 
And we can ask that question in front of any decision. Who should I marry? What city should I live in? What job should I take? What should I have for dinner? What would love do now? Love for myself and love for everyone else whose life I touch. What would love do now? If I loved myself, would I have five alcoholic drinks tonight after dinner? Would I go out to a bar someplace and have one drink after another, after another, after another, five or six beers? I mean, is that what I would do if I loved myself? Probably not. But, but I, you know, would I eat this kind of food? Would I talk to that kind of per, uh, to that person in, in the kind of way that I have done? See, what would love do now is a very powerful question. But you know what? We better not ask it unless we're willing to hear the answer, because the answer will come to you clearly. And it will change your behaviors, I promise you. And Neil, if God was looking at the world right now, do you think he might believe that we've forgotten how to love ourselves? God is very clear that we are a very young species. We are demonstrating that, that we have, in fact, forgotten who we really are. That is, our mind has forgotten what the soul already knows. The mind capacity to hold the data of eternity is very limited. It's like trying to soak up the ocean with a sponge. You can't. You can. You can soak up the entire ocean with a sponge, but it would take you like five billion years. You'd have to wring it out, fill it up, wring it out, fill it up, wring it out. It might take you five billion years to do that. Uh, so it's very difficult for the mind uh, to do that. What God understands then, when God looks at us and observes humanity, and all the species of the universe, but particularly the human species, is that this species here, the species on this planet is very young. You know, you know if, you, if you took the age of the Earth and put it on a calendar year for the purposes of, uh, of, of, of creating a scale that we could understand, for the purposes of creating a measurement system that, we, that the mind could understand, you see, the age of the Earth were placed over a calendar year the first single cell form of life didn't appear until the middle of February. Sophisticated forms of life, fishes in the sea, birds in the air, didn't occur until the 26th of November. Dinosaurs didn't appear until the 8th of December. Dinosaurs did not disappear on that scale until the 25th of December. Human beings did not even appear on this planet until December 31st. And the entirety of recorded history has taken place in the last 60 seconds of the year. That's how young our species is in relationship to the age of the Earth. Forget about the age of the cosmos, just the age of this planet alone, not the universe. So when God looks at us, God sees not only have we forgotten who we are, that we're very, very, very young species. It's like you looking at a two-week-old baby. And you wouldn't even have to forgive the baby. You wouldn't have to worry about the baby's <laughs> so-called offenses. Of course not. You would simply hold that baby lovingly in your arms and say, there, there, it's all right. I know why you're crying. Here, let me fix it. Here, I'll fix it. And I'll stop your crying with love. And that's what God says when she sees us. He says, I'll stop your crying with my love. They say that the lack of self-love is one of the root causes of mental illness. As you're probably aware, mental illness is on the rise in the world. What do you think God's view is on mental illness? God's view of mental illness is that I mean, there are obviously physical causes. You just mentioned the fact that mental illness is on the rise. And there are environmental and physical reasons why that is true. But um, at the soul level, the entirety of every human experience, of every human life, and by the way, I presume that the audience listening here understands we have more than one life. That is reincarnation. It's a fact. Eternal life is a fact. 
the human soul lives forever. Forever and ever and even forevermore. So we don't have just one lifetime in physical form. We have a countless number of lifetimes in physical form. And each lifetime, each one of the hundred, a thousand, a million lifetimes that we live, offers us yet one more opportunity to experience and to express a certain aspect of physicality that allows us the opportunity to move into the fullness of understanding and of awareness, of compassion, and of wisdom. So people who are what you and I would call mentally ill or who have faced mental challenges are moving through simply one lifetime of thousands and thousands of lifetimes that that soul will experience. And in this particular lifetime, they are experiencing certain challenges and, and certain levels of struggle as a means, as a tool with which that soul might move into a greater level of understanding, awareness, and compassion when they come back in a different lifetime. So all of life exists as a process through which we evolve as sentient beings in the universe and come to know everything that there is to understand about life itself in its multitudinous forms. So when God sees a person who is what you would call mentally challenged, God sees a blessed and wonderful being who is moving through a particular encounter and a particular experience for reasons that are clear to the soul may not be clear to anyone else who's watching it, but they are clear to the soul of that person. Neil, if somebody is listening in, one of our listeners listening in now today and they're experiencing depression and anxiety and feeling quite powerless in that situation, what do you think God would say to them? Give me a call. Call on me and I will be there always and in all ways. What God would say to them is, call me and I will heal your depression and I will heal your anxiety by bringing you to a grander awareness, a larger understanding, a deeper level of consciousness about who you really are, about the purpose of all of life and about the presence of divine grace as part of your life. People who have done that have testified that it works. It's said there's nothing more important than your own state of consciousness and your connection to God. Do you think this is true? Well, of course it is. How else am I going to answer a question like that? Sometimes I like to surprise interviewers. Sometimes I like to say things like, no, it's absolutely untrue. Where did you get a silly idea like that? But I can't do it to you. I, I have to give you an honest answer. Of course it is. Of course it's true. And why do you think we keep forgetting this? Well, you know, that that's uh, an interesting question. That's different for every single person. There are 8.3 billion people on the earth. And we don't have time here for me to give you 8.3 billion answers. Each of us have our own reasons why we keep forgetting that and there is no one size fits all answer to your question but i do know that the forgetting of such information is simply the first step toward our healing toward our remembering so forgetting those things is not the real issue and why we forget is not the real issue what would it take to remember is the real question. And it would take really very little for us to remember. All it would take is for us to reach into the wisdom of the soul, call upon the God of our understanding, or look at life itself if we don't believe in God. Look at what life is seeking to bring us in terms of a level of awareness, 
and information that can solve the riddle and bring an end to the problem. Life has a way of bringing us exactly the right information at exactly the right time if we will simply let it, if you'll simply let life do that. For instance, it's doing that right now. Somebody is listening to this program right now who may not have heard these particular kinds of answers before. And for one of those people, I know that there are thousands listening to this program, but for one of those people, something might click and they'll say, oh my goodness, oh my gosh, I've been waiting to hear these answers for a long time. If all we have done here today is provide those answers and opening to those answers for one other person, we have met the highest objective of this program. And how do you think God can guide us to overcome fear and limitations in our life? By bringing us an awareness of who we really are. Fear is simply an acronym. F-E-A-R is an acronym. It's an abbreviation. F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. Or as I like to use it, feeling excited and ready. I remember when I was a young child and I was getting ready to go on the roller coaster at the carnival. And I would be standing in line and I didn't know, should I get a ticket? Should I not get a ticket? Should I get a ticket? Should I not buy a ticket? My dad gave me five cents to get a ticket for the roller coaster. Do I want to get, do I really want to get on the roller coaster? I was feeling excited and ready. F-E-A-R. I wanted to, but I didn't want to. But I wanted to, but I didn't want to. <laughs> I overcame my fear and I got on the roller coaster and I had the time of my life. So my dear friends, the way to get over fear is to understand that in the end, nothing can happen to you that's bad. Life will go on forever and ever and even forevermore. You can't even lose your life. The highly evolved beings of the universe understand this. By the way, we are not the only life forms in the cosmos. If anyone thinks that earthlings are the only life forms in the entire universe, you're mistaken. There are highly evolved beings in the universe who understand perfectly well that life is eternal, that life never ends that you can't actually do the thing you call die. That is, you can't cease to exist. Once you know that you can't cease to exist, you no longer have any fear of death. And once you do not fear death, you do not fear life. It's really quite that simple. Say if someone's listening in at the moment, Neil, and they have a lot of fear and limitation around money and finance, what would you say to them? Give it away. Give it away. The wonderful uh, wisdom of conversations with God tells us that that which we wish to experience cause another to experience. So if we are wishing we had more money in our life and we're afraid we have worries around financial finances and money issues, cause another person to have more money in their life. I don't care if it's just coins, your know, pocket change or a small bill, but every day you will meet someone who has even less than you. Let me repeat that. Almost every day you will meet someone, if you leave your house and go anywhere, you'll meet someone who has even less than you. Carry a few small bills or a few small coins in your pocket and give it to that person. Give what you wish to receive. And what you will experience is that you have received it multiplied and folded over seven times seven. Do unto others as you would have it done unto you. And it will be. So if you have worries about finances and concerns about your economy and the money flow in your life, cause another person to have their concerns about money in their life disappeared or do what you can to help others and the more you give away the more you will realize that you have to give away this is true not just about money by the way this is true of love and time you know there's an old saying if you want to get something done and you're really needing to get it done quickly go to a person who's busy find a busy person and that person will demonstrate that they have even more time than you thought they had. So the answer to the question 
if a person is dealing with money worries and concerns, number one, realize that money is not and has nothing to do with your level of happiness or your ability to be happy. Number two, give away what you wish to receive and watch your money worries be forgotten. They won't disappear, but they will cease to have their illusory form. And Neil, is there a reason why some people live lives of poverty and other people live lives of complete riches in a materialistic sense? There is no reason, you know, in the heaven. God doesn't choose for some people to live one way and other people to live another way. The issue is not whether we live in what's called poverty or whether we live in what's called riches in terms of finances. The issue is whether we live in poverty or riches in terms of love and the important things in life, the expression and the experience of who we really are. But notice something interesting. We talked a while ago about the, the world's great spiritual teachers. Mother Teresa is a good example. Buddha is a good example. And there are others we could name many, many, many. Notice that very few of them had any money. Very, very few of them, hardly any of them, are people that you would call rich. I mean, financially wealthy. We see then that the connection between great financial riches and great spiritual happiness and joy and human ecstasy, the connection does not exist. One does not have to be financially wealthy to be emotionally and spiritually joyful. So we, you know, we, we have an opportunity here to just Stop thinking that way. Notice how much money the world's great spiritual teachers had in the bank. Zero. Nobody was walking around with a huge checking account. Nobody was walking around with credit cards and a lot of credit to use. Nobody was walking around with $1,000 bills in their pocket. Just notice that and decide what you choose to make really important in your life. Why are some people living in poverty and other people living in wealth? There is no single answer to that question. But the question itself is really irrelevant. The only real question is, why are some people living in joyfulness and other people are not? And the answer to that question is, some people understand who they really are and why they are here on earth, and others do not. This is all explained in the great spiritual literature of all time, not just in the books that I have had the pleasure and the privilege of writing, but in the spiritual writings of many, many, many teachers and messengers throughout the centuries. It's, it, this is, there's no secret here. This is not a secret. What I'm saying has been said to us by the spiritual messengers for several thousand years. The question is not to whom is God talking. The question is, who's listening? If someone's listening in today, Neil, and they're in a job where they don't feel very joyful and they maybe hate that job, is there a way that they can move from that place or even be joyful in the job that they hate? Of course there is. Joy does not come from the job you're holding. Look at why are you holding the job? Why not just quit tomorrow? Well, I can't quit tomorrow. I couldn't support my family. Oh, I see. Does it make you happy to be a person who supports your family? Well, of course it does. That's what I do. I support my family. Then be grateful for your job. Allow yourself to notice that it is your job that is allowing you to do that. Why are you keeping your job? Why don't you quit tomorrow? Because I need the money. Why do you need the money? So that I can do what I want to do. I see. Therefore, go to your job in the morning with gratitude on your lips. Thank you. Thank you, God, that I have work that someone else will actually pay me to do. And then if you move from rejection to gratitude, who knows? A better job, a different job, another opportunity to do something you really like might come along. 
But conversations with God tells us that what you resist persists. What you resist persists. Therefore, don't resist your job, but find a place of gratitude. I am grateful that I have been given work that I can do that someone else is willing to pay me for. I will do my best and my very best and even better than my best. I will give 110% to this job. Even though I tell myself that I hate it, I will find a way to love it because I love what it is allowing me to do in my life. And when you change hatred to love, all of the energy, the energetics about that experience will shift with you. Life is nothing more than energy. It's an energetic experience. Change the energy that you are sending to it and the energy that you are receiving from it will change as well. Yes, you probably know there's a job, there's a career, and there's a calling. Is there a way to connect and know our calling? Decide what it is. No one is given a calling by God or by life in the sense that God is a career counselor. Why would God give you a calling and then not tell you what it is? So God empowers you to decide what you want your calling to be. Life is not a process of discovery. Life is a process of creation. The way to know what your calling is, is to call it forth. That is to decide. Nobody has to be told what brings them the greatest joy in life. I've talked to many audiences all over the world. And I'll have you know two or three or 400 people in front of me in an audience, and I'll say to them, how many of you have found something in your life when you are being a certain way that brings you joy? Is there anybody in the audience who has never had a moment of joy in your entire life? And nobody raises their hand. Nobody raises their hand. How many of you have experienced a moment of joy in your life? And all the hands go up. I say, okay, then what was it that you were doing or being when you were experiencing that joy? And then they start looking at that. I wrote a book about this subject called Bringers of the Light. The book, it's a booklet, small booklet. It's not a full-length book. It's a small booklet, Bringers of the Light. It talks about states of being that bring us joy. And when we decide and define what those states of being are, then we begin to create opportunities to turn those states of being into something we are doing that allows us to live the highest experience of our true identity. I invite everyone listening to me to choose to make a life rather than a living. You're not here to make a living. You're here to make a life. And how you can know what your calling in life is, is to call it forth into your experience by looking deeply at what brings you the greatest joy. I am most joyful when I am being, colon, and fill in the blank. And then choose to be that no matter what you're doing. And pretty soon a job may come along that allows you to do it and actually get paid for it. That's what happened to me. And it can happen to everyone. Neil, what do you find in your life right now is the greatest challenge which is blocking you from having that state of being? Well, nothing is blocking me from having that state of being. I live in a state of being joyful and wonderfully happy in my life. So I'm, I'm, I'm not blocked in having that state of being. My work is my joy. I, before I was on this interview just now, I was on the internet answering people's questions, and it was a joyful thing to do. In a few days, I go off to Madrid. I get on an airplane and I fly 14 hours to give a one-day program in Madrid, and then to do some video programming for some people in Germany who want to do a course in Germany. And then I come back home and three, two weeks later I go back to Barcelona. And then I go elsewhere. I'm just I'm traveling all around the world. And when I'm not traveling, I'm doing the work I'm doing here uh, at home, answering questions about conversations with God. Book four, awaken the species. My job is to awaken the species. And it's the invitation that I place before everybody within the sound of my voice right now. It's an invitation for all of humanity. When you ask me what is blocking me from achieving that state of being, nothing, because I am achieving that state of being 
even as I'm talking to you. I'm having fun here. I'm sorry if you're not, but I am. I am. (laughs) Well, good. Then we're both achieving our state of being. Our state of being is happiness, and we're both achieving that. Good for us. What do you not know and strive to learn now in your life? There's nothing that I don't know. There's only that which I don't remember. See, God has told us that all of us know everything we need to know in order to live lives of perfect joy, happiness, and fulfillment. But we may not remember all that we need to remember. So there's nothing that I don't know. The soul is the repository of all knowledge and all understanding in the universe. So there's nothing that I don't know. But there's much that I don't remember. And you can't ask me what I don't remember, because if I remembered it, I wouldn't be forgetting it. So I'm sure that as my life goes on, I will come across even more that I had forgotten, that I now have come to remember. But the most important remembrance I have embraced, I've embraced a remembrance of who I really am, of who and what God really is, of why I am here, of where I am in this realm of physicality, and of what I have an opportunity to do about that. I have embraced a remembrance of that. And my remembrance of that has changed my entire life. And Neil, what are the most personally important things to you in this year 2017? To step into the fullest expression of who we really are for all of us. The most important thing for all of us is to self-select, to choose ourselves, to be among those who commit to moving forward our own evolutionary process by demonstrating behaviors that serve to awaken us to who we are and awaken everyone else to who they are. I'm inviting people all over the world to engage in that important process of self-selection, to say, you know what? I have self-selected. And if they choose to do so, they can go to a special website that I've actually created for people who want to engage in the process. The website is I have selfselected.com. I have selfselected.com. Then you will join people from around the world who have chosen to do what they can do to awaken themselves and to awaken the species, primarily by their behavior and by what they understand to be true about all of this. Programs such as this, the program you're listening to right now, have come to you not by coincidence. Don't imagine for one moment that you've heard what you've just heard today by coincidence. Your soul brought you to the hearing of what you're hearing right now. Be clear about that and then be grateful for it and then do something about it. I know you mentioned already about your book Conversations with God for Awakening the Species. Can you just share a small little bit about that, Neil, please? The book talks about who we are, and how we can express that in daily life. It gives us 16 differences between an awakened species and humans who are living in an unawakened state. It's a powerful description. It's a guideline. It's a tool. It offers insight. It answers questions. And it brings us to a place of decision-making. Do I choose to live my life in a new way so that all these questions about work and job and money and relationship and how am I going to make it better, all those questions go away and they are replaced by answers and a joyful and fulfilling life. That's what the book is about. It's called Conversations with God, Book 4, Awaken the Species. And it's time for us now to do that. It's time for us to awaken to awaken ourselves and to awaken everyone else whose life we touch. That's what's going on on the planet right now. And you can play a part if you choose to. And you don't have to. You don't have to. Continue living your life exactly the way you're living it right now. Don't change a thing. It's up to you. If you want your life to be happier, more fulfilling, more joyful, more wonderful, there are ways that you can do that. And Neil, how can people find out more about your work? Simply go to cwgconnect.com. CWG, of course, stands for Conversations with God. So the website is easy to remember, cwgconnect.com. It was a real pleasure and an honor to talk to you today, Neil. So thanks so much for your time. 
I've enjoyed it immensely. Thank you for asking me. You're very welcome. Have a great day. And you, blessed yeah. be. Goodbye for now. Thanks for listening to another inspiring and thought-provoking show of The Health Zone. I am Mihal Mahuna. Just to remind you, you can find us on facebook.com forward slash The Health Zone Show or you can join our Facebook group, The Health Zoners. We're also on Twitter, Instagram and pin interests under The Health Zone. To gain further invaluable resources on health and well-being, go to our website www.thehealthzoneshow.com thehealthzoneshow.com When you're on there, join The Health Zone and you'll receive a free copy of my latest ebook, 7 Ways to Boost Your Overall Well-Being. Finally, I would love to hear any feedback you may have on the show and even if there are any particular guests or topics which you're interested in, please email me on tunein at thehealthzoneshow.com Until next time, this is Michal. Thanks for listening and I wish you a very healthy happy and authentic week. Living your way.